0: All right, so last week we looked at one verse. This week we're going to look at 17. So it's an average of nine per week. So that's, that's doing all right, I think. Um, I, I don't like to get into the inside baseball of sermon craft. I am far more interested in that. I know that you are. Um, but let me just say I, I hope that our pattern, our habit, um, will be to take as much of the Scripture as we need to. Uh, on a given week. So if it's one verse, if it's 20 verses, whatever we need to do to understand what what God is saying uh, through the writers of Scripture. So that's going to be what we do. This is a little bit of a different passage, okay? It's a a narrative. Um, If you read it, I'm going to read it in just a second. I want to read it in its totality. If you read ahead at all, or if you've read this passage of 2 Corinthians before, you may have thought, that is really strange. I don't really understand what Paul is saying entirely in this passage. So that's why we're going to take the whole thing. Uh, It's it's kind of a narrative account of of catching up with with where he's been with the Corinthians. And, And what it has to do with is it has to do with the struggles of being a minister of God's word. So let me read. I'm going to start with verse 12, which is where we were last week. And I'm going to read all the way through the bottom of the passage. The bottom of the passage is going to be chapter 2, verse 4, Okay, which is where I believe that Paul sort of finishes this thought here. So let me read. Uh, you read along as I read aloud. For our boast is this, the testimony of our conscience, that we have behaved in the world with simplicity and godly sincerity, not by earthly wisdom, but by the grace of God and supremely toward you. For we are not writing to you anything other than what you read and understand, and I hope you will fully understand, just as you did partially understand us, that the day of our Lord Jesus Christ, uh, that on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ, you will boast of us as we will boast of you. Because I was sure of this. I wanted to come to you first. So that you might have a second experience of grace. I wanted to visit you on my way to Macedonia and come back to you from Macedonia and have you send me on my way to Genia. Was I vacillating when I wanted to do this? Do I make my plans according to the flesh, ready to say yes, yes, and no, no at the same time? As surely as God is faithful, our word to you has not been yes and no. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, whom we, pro- we proclaimed among you, Silvanus and Timothy and I, was not yes and no, but in him it is always yes. For all the promises of God find their yes in him. That is why it is through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. And it is God who establishes us with you in Christ, and has anointed us, and has also put his seal on us and given us the Spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. But I call God to my witness against me. It was to spare you that I refrained from coming again to Corinth. Not that we lorded over your faith, but we work with you for your joy, for you stand firm in your faith. not to cause you pain, but to let you know the abundant love that I have for you. Okay, so in this long passage, which we're just going to walk through fairly quickly this morning, Paul, I believe, shows us the heart of a ministry. He shows us the heart of, of, of himself, of, Paul, of Timothy, of Titus. Uh, we're going to talk about Titus later on in the book. Uh, and of Sylvanus, who is a.k.a. Silas, Okay, so Silas and Silvanus are the same person. So these are the people who are pastoring in Corinth. They are investing in them. Uh, But I want you guys to see this morning that this passage has tremendous implication for us who would seek to minister to one another. Anybody who wants to be a minister of Jesus Christ is going to find application in this passage. And my hope is that we are going to be raising up Ministers out of Hope Bible Church. And, and even if we are sending our best, even if we're sending our best and most faithful out into other places in Savannah or other places in the United States or even other places in the world, that, that God will give us opportunity to equip people and to send them out of here. Perhaps God will give us opportunity to raise up um, men and women out of this group Who would go to a different part of Savannah um, to be elders, to be pastors, that that if we have opportunity to start another church, that we're not looking to hire somebody from out there, but that God is raising someone up uh, in our midst who would go and would shepherd a new church. Because we want to see people get saved and then we want to see them equipped to do ministry. We want to be reproducing ourselves. I started meeting with men on Wednesday mornings before we started meeting weekly because Paul says in 2 Timothy 2, he says, What you have heard from me, this is real simple discipleship right here, What you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. I mean, that's the process right there. My, my, my role, as far as I'm concerned, other than, other than leading and teaching this, this whole group, is to be a part of raising up men so that I can impart to them what I have been taught and then that they can go out and impart that to other men. That's, it's that simple. It's just following the pattern that Paul sets out for Timothy. And so the Bible is is filled with all kinds of important principles for ministry, whether you are planning on going and being a a missionary in a closed country or you're just a a high school student who wants to start a Bible study at at your school. There are principles of ministry that are going to be true no matter what it is that you're trying to do. And there are tools that you can learn that will help you face the difficulties that you are going to face. Because let me tell you something about ministry. This has been my experience with ministry. It is never what you're going to expect. It's never what you're going to expect. You have these grandiose visions of of going somewhere, uh, of being in another place, and how great it's going to be, and God's just going to be moving all the time. And what what I've found personally about ministry is that most of it is just remarkably ordinary. Most of it is just living your life alongside people. Y'all know I went and um, preached several weeks ago at a church in Atlanta. I did the ministry retreat up there, and um, then I preached in the church. And let me tell you, as a preacher, there's nothing more fun than preaching at somebody else's church because you're you're not the normal guy, and everybody thinks you're great. Everybody thinks you're the best preacher in the world, you know? And, and you start to think, you know, I could, I could get used to this. I could just go around and in other people's congregations every week. And they would think I was great every single week, you know. But a lot of ministry is just, it is, it is preaching the word of God. I'll, I'll tell you, the last two sermons, the one about um, comfort and suffering and the one about the, the conscience, you know, I, I just couldn't wait to get in here and like, and let y'all know what I found. This one, I've, I've had to work at it a little bit this week. I mean, this is, a, this is a little bit of a haul here as we work through it, you know. But that's what we do. We just We minister to each other week to week. The other thing that I found true about ministry that Paul's going to talk about in this passage is this. Not everybody is going to think that you're doing good stuff. You know, in- invariably, when you do ministry, you're going to open yourself up to criticism, and it will be criticism that you would not have expected. You think you're doing good work, and somebody's going to come at you and say, how dare you? Okay, so that's the kind of stuff that Paul is getting at in this passage, um, so we're just going to walk down through, I've, I have come up with six insights that I think Paul gives us into ministry in this passage, um, and he's going to defend himself a little bit. You, you, might, you might tend to think as we look at this passage, well, Paul, you sound a little defensive, and he is, and we're going to learn some things Um, from this little defense of his ministry that he's going to give in this passage. All right, let's just remind ourselves of a little bit of context real real quick before we jump in. His ministry is under attack. Uh, He ministered in Corinth personally for 18 months. He started a church there. He moved on. There was trouble. Uh, The church began to, to develop some sinful habits that led to disunity. Remember, this is Paul's fourth letter to the Corinthians, there was a sorrowful letter that was between 1 Corinthians and this one that Paul wrote, and that he was very firm and he confronted them about some things. And he was very concerned about how things were going. Okay? And then central to the problems that that church is having is this attack on Paul's integrity. And so these false teachers have crept in and they are attacking the message of the gospel but they're also attacking Paul and they're accusing him of being fickle and untrustworthy and that's why Paul is speaking defensively here, okay? Last week we saw, he says, look y'all, I I am standing before y'all, by the way, that y'all, that y'all works in scripture. We we need that plural, uh, third person plural. He is talking to the whole church, you know, so you can go with y'all there. He is saying, y'all, I have lived among y'all with a clean conscience. I have lived in holiness and godly sincerity, not not by fleshly wisdom. So we, we talked about that last last week. He he never coveted their money or their lifestyle or their comfort. His only desire was to make Christ known. And then he says in, in verses twelve through fourteen, he says, I wasn't I wasn't trying to I didn't have any hidden motives, you know. I didn't sit down with you to share Christ. Secretly hoping that I was going to win you over to some personal cause. He says there, he says, just as you did partially understand us. I think he's saying there, he's saying, y'all knew this. When I left there, y'all knew this. You were not unclear. I lived among you for 18 months and I made this major investment. And then he lays down this final statement there in verse 14, he says, and on the day of the Lord Jesus You will boast of us, and we will boast of you. So even if you don't believe me right now, even if if my testimony and my record with you doesn't count, one day when we stand before Jesus and our hearts are all known, you're going to know the truth. And you're going to rejoice in the fact that my motive was to serve you. So so that's what he's saying here. These These are fairly severe words. All right, so let's jump into it then. Verse 15, what is the issue? The issue is that Paul changed his plans. This seems so minuscule, that they have picked up on this. Um, But but Paul is being attacked. So let me read it to you. Uh, This is is verse uh, 15, because I was sure of this. I wanted to come to you first so that you might have a second experience of grace I wanted to visit you on my way to Macedonia and to come back to you from Macedonia and have you send me on my way to Judea. Okay, so Paul had written to them and he had said, I want to bless you. I'm going to come through town. I'm going to come through. I've got to go to Macedonia. So I'm going to come through on the way to Macedonia and then I'm going to do the work that I'm doing in Macedonia and then I'm going to come back through on my way back to Judea. And for reasons that will become clearer later later on down in this passage, he did not come on his way to Macedonia. He decided to wait. And so his detractors have seized on that as an opportunity to attack his character. So they're saying, see, he said he was coming and he didn't come. And he's not who he says he is. He says one thing, and he does another. You can't trust him, and you can't trust his message. How, how painful must this have been? Now, this, I think, gives us some insight into why Paul is talking about suffering in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. How painful this must have been that they've seized on this. Look at verses 17 and 18. When I was vac- or was I vacillating when I wanted to do this? Do I make my plans according to the flesh, ready to say yes, yes, and no, no at the same time? <laughs> As surely as God is faithful, my word to you has not been yes and no. And he's leaning on his reputation here. He says, don't you know me? Don't you know that I was not a person among you who said yes and no at the same time? Don't you know I was never a flake? He says, do I make my plans according to the flesh? A person who makes his plans according to the flesh is a person who just decides to do something or not to do something just because he doesn't feel like it. Oh, I was, I was, I was too tired. Something suddenly came up. I, I, I didn't feel like it. That's, that's a flaky person. You know, I, I really would rather do this thing than that. One. Paul says, I was not like that. I wasn't like that among you. I never made plans according to the flesh. And so I, I got my first two insights here out of these passages, these, these verses that we just looked for. And, and the, the first one is this, insight number one. Our testimony before the world matters when we minister. Our testimony before the world matters <coughs> when we minister. So much, like I said, of our, of our ministry, is, it's about living consistently, faithfully, day in, day in and day out. It's establishing a testimony of faithfulness, and love, and integrity. And Paul, Paul is saying, by the way, that's how I lived among you, and you know that. He's, he is pushing them on this fact. I do think, too, especially in our day, one of the greatest ways that we can be a testimony for Jesus Christ is to just do the things that we said we were going do or not do the things that we said we were not going to do. Jesus says in in Matthew 5, he says simply let your yes be yes and your no be no. If you say you're going to do something, do it. If you say you're not going to do something, don't do it. If you commit, follow through. And that is the opposite of the world who makes plans entirely according to the flesh, according to what they feel like in the moment. If we live with integrity and false criticism comes, then we can say, wait, don't you know me? Do the things that these people are saying ring true about me? Okay? Now, hear me. I am not saying that that is a conversation stopper. Okay? If somebody comes to you with criticism and you say, don't you know me, and then that person produces, like, facts to the contrary, then the next step, according to the gospel, is humbling yourself and repenting. Okay? Okay? So so we don't only stand and say, don't you know me, okay? But that being said, when criticism is unfounded, and it often will be, there will be many times in ministry when you will be criticized unfairly. Sometimes all you can do is allow your testimony to speak for itself. And to say say like Paul, I I have lived before you with a clean conscience, to just trust in your heart that one day... At the day of the Lord, all of your motives will be made known, and people will say, Oh. Okay. And, and give glory to God. The second insight I, I have from this passage is this: serving Christ with a whole heart will bring unexpected criticism. Serving Christ Christ with a whole heart will bring unexpected criticism. And this is a hard truth about ministry. No matter what you are doing, no matter how good your motives are, people will find Ways to criticize you. I think we expect that we're going to do things to serve God and everybody is going to be like, you're the greatest. And that is just not the case. And for various reasons, people will criticize everything. I I think Paul is genuinely shocked here that these people whom he has loved so well can believe these misrepresentations about him because he changed his travel plans. But sometimes our sinful hearts just refuse to think the best. Missionaries are accused of being colonizers. That family who puts their children in the public school, uh, they're accused of loving the world too much. And the family that puts their children in homeschools are accused of being separatists. And a church committee committed to studying the Bible is accused of being legalistic. And a church that is committed to helping people with social problems is accused of Sacrificing the gospel. And many times our motives are pure. I just want to help people. I'm not trying to sacrifice the gospel. I just want to help people. And people will come in and they'll criticize you. And they'll misrepresent the things that you're doing. And this is terribly made worse by social media. Uh, one, of, one of the most devastating um, criticisms that, that Erica and I ever got was on a, on a blog that we had written, a, a fundraising blog. Um, for adoption, where somebody just let us have it um, for various reasons, just, just being very critical of what we're doing. But here's the truth. This is exactly what happened to our Lord Jesus Christ. So think about this. Jesus Christ was the most loving, the most just, the most righteous, the most merciful, the most kind person who ever lived. And they accused him of working for the devil. And they accused him of blasphemy. And they crucified him. So the suffering that we have that comes from being wrongly criticized when we're trying to serve Christ, I would say that's the same suffering that Paul was talking about in, chapter, in, in verse 5 earlier, where he talks about that you will have abundant suffering as you share in the sufferings of Christ. Jesus said, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. So this is exactly what we should expect. It's what our Lord experienced. And then finally, just as we move on, let's not be a people who are so quick to be critical of others who are serving Jesus. Like, let's just not be quick to do that. Let's work to be an encouragement. They may not be doing it exactly like we're doing it. They may not be thinking exactly the same thoughts that we're thinking. We may wonder, I don't know why you would be interested in doing that. But let's be slow to, to be critical, especially of people who believe the same things that we believe. If, if they're people who believe the same doctrine that we believe, then let's, let's encourage them and not discourage them. Okay, verse 19. So what's at stake here? For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, whom we proclaimed among you, Silvanus and Timothy and I, was not yes and no, but in him it is always yes. For all the promises of God find their yes in him. That is why it is through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. And it is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us and has also put his seal on us and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. A lot of people want to separate the practical from the theological and the scripture. You know, So just tell me how to have a better home life, a better work life, help my kids, help me to be better at church, and I don't have time to hear the doctrine behind it. And the problem with that is that the two are absolutely inseparable. Your, your, how you live your life is driven by what you Believe, And so Paul won't have any of it. Paul is saying, look, if you're questioning my integrity, then you have to understand the truthfulness of the message is coming into question. And not just me, Timothy, Silas, all the ones who have proclaimed Christ to you, the truth of that message is coming under attack. Because he says this, how can you trust the message if you don't trust the messengers? Y'all, travel plans are nothing. You, you want to get mad at me for travel, changing my travel plans? What, if, if what you're saying is true, then I have misrepresented to you the message about Jesus Christ, and that's the most important message that there is. The gospel is absolutely trustworthy. Every promise in the scripture is true because of what we know about Jesus Christ. That's what Paul is saying here. He's saying every promise in the scripture, the yes to those promises is Jesus Christ. He says, uh, uh, for all the promises of God find their yes in him. That is why through him we utter our amen to God. You know, so why do we say amen? You know, amen, amen is just a, a way of saying yes. You know, when, when somebody when a preacher, for instance, says something that really you agree with, you say, yes. We don't really, we don't really do that in here yet, but it's okay. If you've been sitting here wondering, can I say amen? You can say yes. You can say amen. You can say let it be. Let it be is sort of an old, older way of understanding what amen means. So, so Paul is saying, look, the gospel is the yes to everything in the scripture, and he's saying, don't you remember? We agreed to that together. I preached this message, and you said amen, and you were with me, and now you've, you've gone away. You, you don't trust my character, and, and you, you apparently don't trust the message that I've shared with you. And y'all, you've heard me talk a lot about doctrinal, about unity lately, about the importance of unity. Uh, John 17, Jesus prays that we would be one as he and the Father are one so that the world may know that the Father sent him. And and, and as as I've been thinking about that, I, I think it's really important that we understand that unity is not just the opposite of disunity, okay? So just because we're not disunified in this room, praise God, doesn't mean that we're unified. We're truly unified when we are united around something that we believe and around something that we are doing. Like, we are on a team together. So so one of the things we've started to talk about is that we have a common confession. That's, That's our doctrinal statement. We have a common set of things we believe, and we have a common commitment. That is why we are gathered here. We are united under a common belief and a common commitment to one another. The fastest route to disunity is when we start to slip from our commitment to the truth. That will be the fastest route to disunity. And the false teachers have come into Corinth, and they have sowed disunity in the form of doctrinal division, and it has led to personal conflict. And I would say this, the opposite is also true. The more we believe the truths of the scripture, the yeses that we have in Christ, the more unified we will be. So, my insight number four from this passage is, the unity of the church is at stake. The unity of the church is at stake. He goes on to say in verse 21, it is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us and who has also put his seal on us and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. One of the reasons I struggled with this passage is because Paul so almost seamlessly seems to go in and out of between the practical and the theological. Like, at one point he's saying travel plans, and at the next point he's going into a like theological discourse about the importance of the Holy Spirit and what we have together. And, and I really think there's something we should be instructed. It's all one thing. It's all one thing in Paul's mind, and it should be one thing for us, So he slips into this very simple picture here of the unity that God has given us, the things that we have in common, the things that should draw us together. He says he establishes us in Christ. The yeses that we have in Christ make us stable as we affirm those things. We will be stable as a church. He says he has anointed us. And anointing is just another word for commissioning. He has commissioned us. The kings of Israel and of Judah were, were anointed. They were commissioned for the task that they were to do. We have been set apart for this service. He's put a seal on us. He has said, we are, we are his. We are all his together. We are in this family together. And then he says, he gave us his spirit. So all the things that we enjoy with the Holy Spirit as he unifies us, as he, as he affirms us, but, but most of all, it's this down payment of future glory. Like, we're still living here in these sinful bodies and we're still fighting the passions that we have in our flesh, but one day we're going to have no more sin nature and the Holy Spirit, and y'all, you know, then things are really going to get going. And it's really, really... That combination of no... Uh, no-sin nature and the Holy Spirit. Jesus talks about that he was a person who had the Spirit without measure. That's how we're going to be. That's how we're going to live. And so Paul is simply saying here, you have a down payment of that that you're looking forward to. And Christians who distrust each other and tear one another apart are forfeiting those blessings. Blessings. All right, so back to, back to his story here. Verse 23, why did he actually change his plans? But I call God to witness against me. It was to spare you that I refrained from coming again to Corinth. Not that we lord it over your faith, but we work with you for your joy, for you stand firm in the faith. I didn't come to you because you weren't ready. I, I have been to you, and it didn't go great. And I sent you an, a, a letter... And I don't think you responded well. So it came time for me to stop on my way to Macedonia, and I decided not to. God is my witness. I was afraid that it would be another painful visit. I didn't want to come to you with a hammer again. He said, I want to come to you for your joy. I want what's best for you. And I decided to be patient and wait and continue to give time for the Spirit to work in your hearts. So this is my fifth insight from this passage this morning. My fifth insight is this. Ministry requires love and wisdom. Ministry requires love and wisdom. You have to know the right time to press, to admonish, to teach. And you also have to know the right time to be patient. There will be time when the situation requires a strong rebuke. There may be times, even for some of us in this room, where we may need to go to one another and say, Brother, you are sinning, and you need to stop. For your good, you need to stop. There may be other times when we need to wait and let wisdom play its course and be patient and allow the Spirit to work in our brother or sister's heart. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 5.14, We urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. Sometimes it's hard to determine who's idle and who's weak. And you have to pray, and you have to seek the Lord. And just like Paul, you have to be able to say, "I'm, I'm not going to move into that situation right now because I'm afraid that that would just bring more pain. I know, by the way, I've been in the biblical counseling movement for about 20 years now, and I know that one of the big criticisms of the biblical counseling movement is that we always bring the hammer. That's what you're going to hear sometimes. Those biblical counselors, they always bring a hammer. They're always rebuking. They always wield the truth of God's word like a weapon. And sadly, there have been some people who have set bad examples and who have wielded God's word like a weapon. And they have always brought in a hammer. But a wise minister of God's word has to be able to assess the person that they're ministering to and say, how do I need to care for this person right now? Does this person need to be admonished? Does this person need to be encouraged? Or do I just need to be patient for a little while? And clearly Paul knew there were times he had to be firm. But he waits this time Y'all, sometimes you reach a point in ministry where you just have to pray. You've said all you can say. To say any more is only going to make the situation worse. And I can tell you, it is sometimes excruciating while you have to wait. And that's where Paul is. That Remember, he's writing this letter because he got a good report from Titus. In chapter 7, we'll see it. He says, I heard from Titus, and oh, I was so relieved to hear that you had finally listened to what I was saying. Let's finish it up. Verses 1 through 4 in chapter 2. For I made up my mind not to make another painful visit to you. For if I cause you pain, who is there to make me glad but the one whom I have pained? And I wrote as I did, so that when I came I might not suffer pain from those who should have made me rejoice. For I felt sure of all of you that my joy would be the joy of you all. For I wrote to you out of much affliction and anguish of heart, with many tears, not to cause you pain, but to let you know the abundant love that I have for you. And this brings us to my final insight this morning, and that is this. A good minister desires to bring people joy. A good minister of the gospel desires to bring people joy. Y'all, we've all had those teachers who feel like they just want to cause us pain. Those people who just want to be really, really hard. And at the end of it, you don't love learning. Paul is not that kind of person. He is not a person who just wants to come in and impose his will. He's not that difficult teacher who just wants to make his students suffer. And he's not a stick in the mud. His goal is to bring joy. So when we do say those hard things, our desire is not just to make people's lives hard. We say hard things from Scripture when we have to so that we may lead people to greater joy. Remember what we said last week, to, to live a life, to, or let's say it like this, if I am encouraging you from the Scriptures to live a life with a clean conscience and holiness and godly sincerity, I am not laying burdens on you. The burdens are the sin And as you live a life in holiness and godliness and sincerity, you're putting off the burdens and you are finding that pathway to joy. Because sin is the great joy killer. The, The person who is coming to you arguing from the scriptures for you to stop living how you're living is not the joy killer. And again, there are bad examples of ministers who seem to believe that fun and happiness and laughter have no place in the Christian life. Paul is not that guy. And, and neither should we be. Y'all, you are going to dread some conversations. There are going to be some conversations that you are going to have to have, and they are going to make people hurt in the moment. But you also have to know that you are not leading them away from joy, you are leading them to joy. And we do not enjoy causing that pain, we do it because it's necessary for greater joy. So Paul didn't stop on his way to Macedonia because he had already caused them enough pain. And he wanted the Spirit of God to work. The troublemakers had blown up this big accusation against him. But his motives had been intentionally misrepresented. And hey, here's something that I thought about this morning that's really cool about this passage. Um, This terrible situation for Paul (coughs) we're benefiting from it 2,000 years later because it forced him to sit down and write this letter and to explain his thinking. And so this terrible situation that caused him so much pain, God is still today bringing good out of that because we get to read about it and we get to learn from it As, as Paul shares with us what kind of minister of the gospel he was. Ephesians four eleven and twelve says he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. So we believe our job here at Hope is to equip you to do the work of the ministry. And it's important to be honest about what the ministry looked like. There will be times of great joy. There will be some mountaintop experiences. You know, I, I always think about Jesus goes up to the Mount of Transfiguration, Peter, James, and John are like, this is good, let's build a, a temple, a tent here, we will stay here, we can just keep being happy, the kingdom is coming. And Jesus says, no, we've got to go down the mountain. And what do they find at the bottom of the mountain? They find a demon-possessed boy that they can't cast the demon out of. And that's regular life, right? You come, back to, you come back to regular life. So there will be times of great joy and there will be times of great difficulty. But in the midst of that, if we are ministering for Christ's sake, 1, uh, 2 Corinthians 1.5, we share abundantly in Christ's suffering, so through Christ we share in comfort too. And so when people criticize you for doing what's good, don't be tempted to stop. Just know that Jesus experienced the same thing and works, and that he promises abundant comfort as we experience those, those sufferings with him. Alright, well we're going we're gonna, to uh, stop there, and we're going to turn now to a time of just participating in the Lord's table together. Uh, Tyler's going to come up here and lead us in that.